0: And this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Strangers, we have to admit, while we generally focus on more contemporary mysteries, we do have a soft spot for history. There's just something about digging through those really old newspapers. You know the ones with the snaking, skinny columns written by, well, who knows, and seeing the stories about stolen horses right next to funeral announcements and land sales and local elections. Because it's there, buried between a breathless account of the local fair's prize-winning pig and a report on a foreign war that you'll often find it. A tantalizing article about strange lights in the hills, or a flying saucer seen over a barn, or a beast lurking in the woods behind someone's mercantile. Now, sometimes, that story is barely a blip, a curiosity presented as importantly as the extra-large cabbage grown by a proud farmer. But sometimes, well, an event can take over a small town And its news. It can creep out in all directions until an entire region is holding its breath, waiting for the next report. And that is our favorite kind of mystery to discover. One that unfurls, slowly, without the aid of internet or social media. Told by the people who lived it, and the reporters who had to follow it by any means necessary. This is why we've brought you back to Iowa for a second episode in a row. No corn jokes from us, thank you, though you are free to offer your own. Because back in 1903, just such a saga unspooled in the tiny town of Van Meter. It's an unusual name, reminds us of outer space if we're honest, but the place was named for one of the earliest Dutch settlers that came to the Midwest. According to the official town website, Little Van Meter, even now home to a scant 1500 or so, sits along the Raccoon River. It's only about 20 miles from Des Moines, and we're lucky that Des Moines was close by, because its news media was there to follow the September and early October 1903 happenings in Tiny Van Meter, where many things were afoot. Or a flight. Just wait, you'll get the idea. To truly get in the mood, you have to think about the scientific, never mind the fantastic, zeitgeist of the early 20th century. As the authors of the book The Van Meter Visitor rightly point out, it was only back in 1902 that the mountain gorilla was officially declared a real species by Western scientists. We assume that the people who lived in those mountains were not surprised by that news. Anyway... The idea that fantastic creatures were still waiting to be discovered, in fact, that they might appear in our own backyards even, was not as impossible as it might seem today. So, to begin our story. Back in 1903, Van Meter had an even smaller population than it does now. The official counts we found varied between 400 and 1,000, The Van Meter Visitor book tells us that the town was made up, quote, mainly of farmers, tile workers, and small business owners. Now, when the town was originally established, they'd mined, but that had not lasted long. But luckily, and unlike many places, they'd prospered still and moved on to other trades. The town had been settled for less than half a century in 1903, Though, of course, people had lived on the land much longer than that. As far as we can tell, there had not been any major upsets, of the supernatural sort, among the Van Meterens, which is a term that we possibly made up. That was, of course, until late September and early October of 1903. As the Daily Telegram tells it, the events all began with a light. A very strange one. Apparently, a local merchant named U.G. Griffith was returning to town quite late when he saw, quote, "...what seemed to be an electric searchlight on a store. While he gazed, it sailed across to another building and disappeared." Now, to us, of course, this doesn't sound very impressive. But remember, this was 1903. Electric searchlights were not in the habit of bouncing around in the sky. Still, it's not so odd. How many stories of mysterious lights have we heard through the years? Apparently, the townsfolk had the same idea, because, per the register, quote, his story was not believed the next day. And, honestly, why would it be? Some kind of trick of the light. Maybe the moon catching something and creating a striking visual effect. There must be a 1903 version of that to explain away U.G. Griffith's odd late-night vision. There were street lamps in Van Meter, though not perhaps the electric arc models that had made their way into bigger cities 20 years before. But certainly, all sorts of light sources, natural and artificial, would have been present in the little town. Perhaps one looks strange when approached at a certain angle, so late at night. That would have been a decent explanation. Except for one strange thing. The next night, things changed. Dramatically. Apparently, a local doctor, A.C. Alcott, had his own illuminating experience. Namely, a shining light that blasted through his window and woke him right up. His reaction was, of course, to grab a shotgun, as one did in 1903, and run outside. There, he did not find a spotlight or even an errant street lamp. Instead, he was faced with what he described as a monster. Quote, half-human and half-beast, with great bat-like wings. And that blinding light? It was shining out from a horn on the creature's head. Dr. Alcott did take a shot, but, alas, it did not seem to connect. And Dr. Alcott was not the only local to see the winged creature that night. According to the Des Moines Register, a local bank employee, Peter Dunn, had his own run-in and took another shot at the beast. And he was, similarly, unsuccessful. But it seems that the monster did not spend the entire evening flying around in the skies. Because, as the courier reported, the next morning a strange footprint was found on the ground in town. The paper described that, quote, Imprints of great three-toed feet were discernible in the soft earth. Plaster casts of them were taken. What was done with those casts, though, the paper didn't say. That did not end the town's sightings. On what seemed to be the next night, the courier was frustratingly unclear on that point, yet another local, O.V. White, spotted the monster. Anyway, O.V. White swore that the thing was, quote, climbing down a telephone pole using its beak much in the manner of a parrot, and that when it finally hit the ground, it leapt along in a terrifying manner. This time, there was no blinding light, but there was a horrific smell. O.V. White also took aim, and he shot The Van Meter Visitor, which had in fairness done nothing but visit, albeit in a shiny way, flew off into the night seemingly unharmed. As you might imagine, these nighttime antics attracted quite a bit of concern. As numerous sources pointed out, these were all well-known and respected members of the community, not the sort to be playing pranks on their neighbors. According to the Daily Telegram, Everyone was further excited when a local educator, Principal Martin, told them that he had indeed divined what the creature was, a, quote, antediluvian animal. That is, a creature from before the time of the Great Flood. Something prehistoric, possibly demonic. Something not good. And by the third night, a clue did come, it seemed that the monster might not have come straight from hell, but rather from those closed-down mines. You see, according to the Des Moines Register, the foreman of the local brick plant, one J.L. Platt, reported that he'd heard a strange noise from, quote, an abandoned coal mine, and as the men had reported a similar sound before, a body of volunteers started an investigation. The authors of The Van Meter Visitor pointed out that this was not so strange, because the brick plant was on the same property as the old mines, so the crews worked quite closely to the old shafts. And after hearing what was described at the time as, quote, Satan and a regiment of imps coming forth for a battle, it was natural that they'd want to get to the bottom of things. Though personally, we, well, might have just moved. But no, the brave explorers decided to press on, and according to the Des Moines Register, they were met with, quote, a peculiar odor. But they did not have long to explore that strange clue, because soon after entering the shaft, that blinding light came again, and there it was, the beast. But it was not alone. Flapping alongside it was another similar creature, down to the bat-like wings except it was half the size hear that believe it or not summer is just around the corner luckily armorall america's most trusted auto appearance brand has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine plus now through may 31st we'll give you five dollars for every 20 you spend on armorall products That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. I'm sure you've heard the old adage that you should learn something new every day. It's good advice, but with so much to do, are you making time to learn and stay curious about our world? Well, with Everything Everywhere Daily, you can easily make that goal a reality. Everything Everywhere Daily is one of the world's most popular daily education podcasts. In about 10 minutes, you can learn something new every day. The show covers history, science, geography, mathematics, and technology, as well as biographies from some of the world's most interesting people. One listener says the show truly makes my day more enjoyable and entertaining. Fans of the show are so passionate, they even work to join the Completionist Club, the group of dedicated listeners who've listened to all 900-plus and counting episodes. I highly recommend you check out Everything Everywhere Daily's recent episodes on Why Are There No Flying Cars? and The Little Ice Age That Happened 700 Years Ago. Learn something new every single day with Everything Everywhere Daily. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Looking for creepy stories? Then we might have a podcast for you. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. Rattled and Shook is a weekly podcast that features new scary stories every episode. Kind of like this. I would hear her say things to me inside my head. I couldn't get around him. I was trapped. The other guy started to get pretty agitated. He grabbed my grandfather's oxygen hose and he cut off his oxygen. Then I started thinking, well, you know, who would be hanging around in this nowhere forest, in this nowhere area? And that's when I started looking more closely. And that's when I noticed there were several shapes. And they were slowly working their way toward me as they were moving from tree to tree. New episodes of Rattled and Shook are out every Thursday. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you thought the sight of two creatures might have given everyone pause, well, you'd be wrong. According to the Daily Telegraph, "quote a score of shots were fired down the shaft, to no effect. And then the monsters disappeared. And as the telegraph told it, the townsfolk were determined to keep watch. Quote, they set up a vigil for the rest of the night. After all, as the authors of the Van Meter Visitor point out, these townsfolk had just gained some valuable information. They still didn't know what they were dealing with, but they'd found the lair of the beast. Or the beasts. It was a long night, and it seemed as if nothing else was going to happen. Until about daybreak, when, finally, a winged creature came swooping in. Not from inside the shaft, but down from the sky. Just how many creatures were there? Or was there simply some other entrance? It seemed that way, because the men soon spied the smaller one, too. Per the van meter visitor, the townsfolk once again started shooting. Honestly, are we overcritical to suggest that they should have come up with some other solutions at this point? But shocker, nothing was accomplished. Once again, the monsters seemed impervious to the bullets. The monsters did, however, let off a terrible stink. Then they returned to the mineshaft again, in a flash, leaving the townsfolk, as bewildered and as frightened as ever. According to the Dallas County News, the Van Meterans decided to barricade that mine shaft. Though we have our doubts as to how effective that really would have been. Some of the townsfolk apparently agreed with us, but others hoped that the monsters were long gone at the bottom of that shaft. And so, what came next? Well, as far as we can tell... Those two bright beasts never visited Van Meter again. At least, not then. And really, who could blame them? Each appearance had resulted in a full-on assault. But as the news spread across Iowa and then farther afield, there were certainly questions. What had it been? Were the fine citizens of Van Meter absolutely batty? It seems, based on news reports from the time, that they were not fond of those assertions. According to a Des Moines Daily News article titled Van Meter Hot Under the Collar, quote, The town of Van Meter is justly indignant over a series of articles that have appeared in the Daily News, and the capital is in receipt of a number of letters from citizens of that place who feel highly indignant over the matter. What were they upset about? Among other things being accused of hysteria, fraud, practical jokes, and more. As the Des Moines Register pointed out, nearly all of the sightings had come in from well-respected and serious members of the community. And yet, as you might imagine, many regional newspapers had a hard time believing that flying, glowing bat monsters were wreaking havoc on the small town. As the Des Moines Daily News put in an earlier article, quote, The fact is, instead of there being some prehistoric or antediluvian monster living in this vicinity, there is either some very active practical joker, or some energetic robber at large. But there was no sign of a hoax. Not one that anyone could find. Outside of reporters accusing the townsfolk of lying, anyway. And how exactly would they have pulled that off? We're not talking about a Bigfoot suit with a zipper here what sort of 1903 technology could have possibly created the horrific visions that that town saw? So, would the answer then be a mass delusion? Again, maybe. But this is an incredibly specific one. We aren't just talking about a bird in the sky. There's climbing down lamp poles, and even the addition of a second strange creature. Of course... There are those that have suggested that it was real. A holdover creature. A dinosaur, if we go with that interpretation of ancient. And we have to admit, the whole description is rather pterodactyl-like. Doesn't explain the whole shining light, though. Now, cryptid lovers go straight to the Thunderbird, which would check off many boxes here, but leaves us back at square one with the whole problem of proving it exists. So, what about something a little more domestic? Say, a condor, or another large bird of prey. The authors of The Van Meter Visitor write that the condor is the biggest bird in North America, which would make it a pretty good contender. But a consulted biologist told them that condors don't make it into Iowa, which is another complication. Could one have still ended up there? They certainly weren't as endangered in 1903 as now, but it seems unlikely. According to Iowa's Department of Natural Resources website, there is always the bald eagle, which does reside in the state. But they're about 12 pounds on average, and 28 to 40 inches in length. Not exactly enormous, and not known for glowing, not unless feeling especially patriotic. The interesting thing, strangers about all these old American stories, ones dating back to a century or more, is that we have to imagine the world those who experienced it lived in. There were no AI-enhanced videos and viral social media trends, though hysteria certainly did spread in other ways. But in a world where fantastic creatures seem to appear, seemingly conjured from myth or folktale in faraway places, and then became scientific reality, perhaps it's not so strange to imagine that a town full of doctors and merchants and bankers would look up into the sky and see a blindingly bright-winged creature and, well, believe their eyes. So far, no one has come up with a better explanation. That's for sure. At least, not one that ties together all the threads of the strange tale, not without making some assumptions that are, we'll be honest, pretty fantastic on their own. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers, from the lives of regular people, just like you and me, Except for one strange thing. Strangers, I've released my first book, and it's available everywhere now as audio, hardcover, and ebook. It actually came out last month, and I read the audio version myself. It's called Lay Them to Rest, and it's about John and Jane Doe's, my years long experience following forensic experts around the country, and our efforts to solve the mystery of a cold case. One Strange Thing is an independently produced podcast. To support the show and hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, you now have three options to enjoy two extra bonus episodes a month. On Apple Premium and Supercast, you can get the bonus episodes delivered to your app of choice for just $2.99. And for $2 more a month on Patreon, you'll get more fun extras. There you'll find ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, two full-length bonus episodes, monthly giveaways, blog posts, and occasional live streams, all for $5 a month. We hope you'll check out one of these options and support the show. There's a link in the show notes. And if you enjoy One Strange Thing, please take a moment to leave us a great rating or review on your favorite podcast app. It really helps.